Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We are in week two of a worldview series that we have aptly called Worldview. Uh, very clever of us, I know. And, uh, and one of the things that just to be, just to prepare our hearts, we'll be diving into specific topics starting next week. But this week, we still thought it wise to take the first two weeks of our worldview series and just take a step back. Because remember, one of our main goals for the series is we want to teach one another how to think biblically. And as a response, that also means we want to live biblically from an appropriate worldview as well. And so given that there's a lot of topics coming, we still thought, man, there's just so much that we want to teach on the front end ahead of those various topics. So this is week two. Next week, we'll jump into some specific topics. But one of the reasons why we want to do that overview is this reality that worldview is coming at us in every form and fashion all the time. Every time we turn on the TV, worldview's coming at us. Every time we're reading the newspaper or clicking on headlines, worldview is embedded in the headline and it's all over the article. And we've gotta be ready for it because we can be tossed to and fro from every wind and wave of doctrine. Even the memes that circulate these days, right, have worldview embedded in them. So let me give you a couple examples. Let me uh, first start in maybe what is a tender spot for some friends in the audience. Let's start with a little Dallas Cowboy worldview. Um, yes, there were some memes that circulated. I grabbed a couple this week. Let's get a little worldview on what the Dallas Star logo is. It's not just a logo, it's a rating system. Ouch. <laughs> One out of five stars. If that hurts you, I'm sorry. Just to live in the light, my football team finished seven and 10. And so I, a 12 and six record sounds pretty good to me, not just one star, but That's the worldview that's coming at you. Worldview number two, Buzz talking to Woody. What's the Super Bowl, Woody? I don't know, Buzz. I'm a cowboy. (laughs) Cheap shots at the expense of my cowboy friends. But let's let the facts bear witness that there's only one franchise out of 32 that have been to more Super Bowls than your Dallas Cowboys, right? And so let's just let the facts bear that. It just happens to be you need to be 35 years or older to have remembered some of those Super Bowls. But welcome, worldview, it's all around. Now let me just switch gears a little bit to something a little more important. Uh, As many of you know, uh, Roe versus Wade is um, nearing being up front with the Supreme Court yet again. And you need to be praying for it as as a body. This week, uh, in, in just kind of an active news cycle, Uh, there was the March for Life, 49th year since 1973 that happened in Washington, D.C. And just as an example of how worldviews even embedded into the headlines, and we need to be on guard for for worldviews, even as we read, there were two, there were several different uh, things I could have shown you, but I wanted to grab two headlines and just see how they reported on the same event. The first is this. The first says, anti-abortion demonstrators gather for 49th March of Life in Washington, D.C. Do you pick up on a little bit of worldview embedded in that? Here's another one. This one, though, says pro-life march is energized by possible overturn of Roe v. Wade. Same event, two worldviews baked into the headlines. It's everywhere. 
And so we've got to be on guard. We've got to make sure our worldview stays steady based on scripture, based on the word of God and not get tossed to and fro. One has an anti this where other one affirms life and it's right there in front of us. Now, worldviews all around us and one thing that Derek said last week that I thought was really helpful and I want us to, to, to remind ourselves that every time we teach from this book, Every time we're reading, we're learning, we're preaching, we are teaching, preaching, learning worldview. We happen to be in a worldview series called Worldview right now, but every series we do on a Sunday is a worldview series. When we were in the Gospel of John, we were in a worldview series. We were rightly working through the various encounters of Jesus, trying to rightly understand who he was. That's worldview. Even just bake through, I could pick any number of verses, but just John 3, 16, the third week of our John series, right? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever should perish, but believe in him may not perish, but have eternal life. That's worldview. The gospel is worldview, the cornerstone that we need to set all of our other ideas and beliefs on top of that cornerstone. Ephesians, what we were in the spring, is a worldview series. Every religion outside of Christianity is built on the idea of working your way back to God. And yet in Ephesians, we were reminded, chapter two, verses eight and nine, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, not of your own doing, so that no one can boast. It's a free gift, one that the Lord gave us. That's worldview that tells us about our God who's rich in love and rich in mercy and meets us in our pits and pulls us up out of it. Every series we do, is a worldview series. And so as we move into the cultural topics of the day starting next week, I just want to set the table that we will be preaching the gospel each and every day. For Christ is the hope of the world, not just a right stance or position on whatever the topic is, but Christ is the cornerstone on which we will build all the other stones on top of it. So starting next week, we'll talk about the sanctity and dignity of life, after that, we'll look at the sin of partiality, which includes racism. We'll talk about gender and sexuality, marriage and politics. And each week, we're gonna be preaching the gospel to ourselves. Good with that? One of the reasons also I wanted to start with the gospel is in those forms, uh, we're gonna look at, just as we evaluate the gospel, there's, there's, a, there's a formula in the gospel that we want to be the framework for each one of our cultural topics. And the gospel begins with God revealing himself to us. That's kind of the first movement is God moves towards us while we're in a state of humility, while we're still in our own pit. God meets us in that moment, revealing himself to us. And from that place, as he sets us up on the rock, gives us a new song to sing, we then live in a manner worthy of God. And so the, the movements of the gospel are gonna be the framework by which we address every worldview topic that we get to. And so those three movements are what does the Bible say about the topic? That's gonna to be movement one each week. Just as God revealed himself to us and rescued us, so too we're gonna to go to the revealed word of God each and every time as we look at how to have a biblical worldview on fill in the blank topic. The second is question that we're gonna look at is how do I respond in humility? The gospel demands that we begin in a place of humility recognizing our own sinful nature. And even in doing so, it should create in us a thankfulness and we should be the most humble people in the world. 
as we recognize where God found us. And in doing so, it should grow our compassion for others. And it should cause us to look at ourselves first. And so we're going to turn the microscope on us and we're gonna look at our acts of commission. We're gonna look at our acts of omission. We're gonna look at our anger or our apathy or our lack of intentionality with each and every topic. That's gonna be movement two, is how do I respond in humility? And then the third thing, the right response to the gospel is how, do, how then shall we live? And so movement three, each and every week, is gonna be, so then how do we love others as ambassadors of Christ? We who have been saved are to be ambassadors representing our king, so how then shall we live? So those are our three movements coming each and every week. What does the Bible say about it? How do I respond in humility? And how do we love others as ambassadors of Christ? And so today, what I wanna do is look at those three movements that we're gonna do each and every week, and I wanna, and I wanna give you the why behind it to set our hearts right. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 through 21, and let's look at why we're gonna run to what the Bible says about a topic and not what maybe our feelings or our own wisdom says. And again, just remind us of gospel truth. We gained God's wisdom when he in his kindness came to us, took off as Derek's language would have been the, the lens of the world and he replaced it with the lens of the word. That's where God met us in the gospel. And so look, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 with me. Here's what the lens of the world would say about, here's what God would say about the lens of the world. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Paul picks back up, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And every age has debaters. Every age has philosophies. Every age has philosophers. But has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of the God, the, the world did not know God through its own wisdom. The lens of the world from 1 Corinthians 1 is fickle, fleeting, and foolish. And we can't run to it. And we've got to move away from it. The lens of the word though is persistent, it's permanent and it's powerful. And so we're gonna bank our lives on it. We're gonna stand firm on it. And the goal of this is not about being dogmatic. We're not just trying to produce rigid obedience or, or even behavior modification. We want to point people to life. And God's word is pointing people to the person of Jesus, which is pointing us to life. And I love, and I'm gonna go back to Psalm 19, verse seven through nine. Derek was in it last week. And because it reminds ourselves that again, the goal's not about dogmatic rigidness. We're trying to point people to life and it's why we have to keep running to the word because it's also pointing us to life. Verse seven, Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Listen to this, it's reviving to the soul. It makes dead people alive again. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the, are, are, of the Lord are right. It is rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Translation, the word leads to life because it's pointing us to Christ and pointing us to the ways that we ought to live. And so we're gonna run to it each and every week as we get started. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God communicating with us and it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for getting his ways and his understanding into our finite minds. 
It's profitable for reproof. When we begin to wander from the ways that lead to life, God uses his word to reprove us. It's for correction. When we've backslidden and gone a completely separate way, God's word has a way of getting us back on track. And it's profitable for training us in righteousness, leading us to life all together. And so if you want to engage cultural culture effectively, whatever the topic is, we have to be a people that are in this book, dwelling richly in it. It's the only way that we have anything to offer. You and I must continue to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day so that we can be ready to point others to them. We have to keep running to the Bible. Let me give you a couple common errors, though, to watch out for. And these are common errors that happen within the church, even within this church. We say often that when we, we use God's word, we need to be firm where scripture is firm and we need to be flexible where scripture is flexible. And so the two common errors are we, that we see are we either make scripture firm where it is in fact flexible or we make scripture flexible where it is in fact firm. Let me take the first one for a second. We make scripture firm where it is in fact flexible. The, the, the best example I have of this is my old community group that we were in a community group with some friends from Dallas for about 14 years. And uh, we, we joined community group with one another before we had kids, before we even knew where people's personal convictions were on all matters of parenting and any number of things. And then all of a sudden, about two years in, we all started having kids. And man, we had some varying opinions on parenting. One of the topics that literally almost split us was, see if this resonates, do you let your baby cry it out or do you console them until you fall asleep? Pick where you are on the spectrum. I'm guessing you have a spectrum on, on this if you've, if you've had kids. We had some that were right over here, some in the middle, some over there. And the ones that were in the, no, you let them cry it out. They were like, look, God's word, Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And then when he's older, he won't depart from it. We gotta discipline our kids. We gotta get them on a schedule. That was offensive to some people over here. The people, it's like, no, let the little children come to me. I'm gonna pick them up and hold them when they're crying until they fall asleep and I'll put them back down. And if they cry again, I'll go back in there. People are there, that sounds like folly and foolish. We, and I'm having fun with it. We were a mess of a community group fighting one another. Finally, one of us had the bright idea of, hey, maybe we should call the community shepherd in and see what they have to say. They'll, they'll set us straight. And so we get them in there and it's like, which is it? Cry it out or console them until they're asleep. Give us the book, give us the answer. Show us the scripture. We told him ours and uh, our friend in his kindness goes, I'm not sure either of those scriptures mean what any of y'all are trying to make them mean. And he said, let me read a passage from, from Romans 14. It's about meat and idols and food and, and vegetables and all that, but let me translate it for your issue. And so he pulled out Romans 14 and read it just like this translated it, filled in the blanks with our situation. It says, one couple believes that you should let your baby cry it out. Well, another couple believes you should console your baby. Let not the one who believes that you should let your baby cry it out despise the one who thinks you should console them until they sleep. And let not the one that can console them in your sleep, I'm already getting confused, but we understood what he meant at the time, abstain and not pass judgment on the one who believes they should cry it out. For who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or fall. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind on this option. He goes, y'all can test me on this, but I think scripture's flexible when it comes to this. And so my prayer for your community group, a win for your community group, is the people that think you should console the baby until they're done crying. I want them to learn to uphold and care for the couple that has a completely different conviction. And the couple that thinks you should cry it out, I want them to learn to uphold and care for and support the convictions of, a, of another couple, even if they're different. And it was life-changing. It sounds silly, it was life-changing in our community group because we applied that to about 10 other things. And we began to care for and love one another where scripture was flexible and we began to support other people in their own personal convictions. And it was so good to us. And I, I, I want us to grow in that. We make scripture firm. We've gotta avoid making scripture firm where it is inflexible. One of the ones that showed up in our community group, schooling choice. Anyone got some opinions on that? Homeschool, private school, public school? Our community group had a lot of opinions on that. And the sweet thing is we began to support and encourage one another in the convictions that others had, even if they were different than ours. And it knitted us together, bound us in unity as we recognized that as best we could tell scripture was flexible on that. Even in the last couple of years, I've seen it in the church, we've all seen it in the church, masks have become a, a, a hot button item and there's varying convictions, vaccinations, should you, shouldn't you. There's varying convictions on it. And we've gotta investigate God's word, but if God's word is flexible and it gives a spectrum of potential things, we need to learn to, to love one another care for one another and help each other uphold their own particular conviction. John was a worldview series. And when Keggs talked about John 17 and Jesus was praying, he, one of the main things he was praying was for the unity within the church. We can't let matters of personal conviction, personal preferences pull us apart when scripture is flexible on the subject. One other one that I've seen, and this one might meddle a little bit more especially in the last two, three, four years, now more than ever, I've watched politics begin to pull at us, drive us into separate corners or drive us in different areas on a variety of stances. And let me be very clear, biblical conviction and biblical truth should inform our political preferences, absolutely. But let's make sure that it's not political preferences that we're trying to read into God's word. And so one of the ways that I just test myself on whether or not I'm doing that is this book, which is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's constantly working on me. It's constantly sharpening and molding and causing me to wrestle on my various stances on how I live in a variety of topics. It makes me a better husband. It, it, it challenges me on my parenting. It challenges me on how I evangelize the lost. It challenges me on a variety of things. And if if it never challenges me on some of my political stances, then I may not be reading it through the lens of the word. I may be just reading it through my own lens. That's one of the tests that I have for me because as I wrestle with God's word, it forces me to go, okay, so then what does that mean in this, 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 and this, even in the realm of politics? And so make sure this book is forming, causing you, helping you wrestle with the various topics of the day not just because a political party wants you to feel this way or vote this way, but is it one that is born out of a biblical conviction? Just let it continue to work through you. The second area that we need to help avoid is sometimes we make scripture flexible where it is in fact firm. 
Now, an example of this is we've seen in various denominations, we've seen um, friends that claim Christ um, begin to affirm an LGBTQ lifestyle. And we've even seen um, those same denominations begin to install into leadership those that are living that lifestyle. And instead of loving and leading people to life, according to this book, they're in fact leading people in a way that ultimately leads to death. And so you and I, we have to continue to wrestle with where scripture is in fact from, we've gotta hold the line. And if you find yourselves as we do it too, especially in areas of sin, we find ourselves wanting to kind of go, well, maybe God's word means this. And all of a sudden we're starting to do some like biblical jujitsu in order to support some of our ways. Or some of us just avoid the scriptures altogether. And it's a sign that we're not operating, not living by um, God's word, but we're operating by worldly fleshly wisdom. And so those are two common errors, not that we just see out there and about, but even within the church and we gotta be on guard for them. And so each week, movement one, we're gonna run to God's word on whatever topic it is. Man is always pontificating and adjusting and speaking, but one of the primary words God, one of the primary ways God speaks consistently and clearly to us today is through his living and active word. So we will root deeply in it. Movement one, what does the Bible say? Movement two, so how then do I respond in humility? Let me remind you of the why. Going back to the gospel, the gospel begins in humility. Right? God came and rescued us while we were still lowly and ignorant, while we were still stuck in our own ways. And thus, as I've already said, as we say a lot, we should be and should stay the most humble people on the face of the planet. And so let me give you some reminders about how we can respond in humility. And we're gonna work through some of these each week all under the heading of how do I respond in humility? Reminder number one, we say it a lot, draw a circle around yourself and let Jesus fix everything in your circle. It's one of the most repeated lines you hear when there's conflict, when there's disagreement. When it, first, when it comes to each topic we address moving forward, we're gonna do what I call taste our own queso. We're gonna practice what we preach. We're gonna look at ourselves first. We're gonna draw a circle around ourselves and go, hey, how can... How can I fix here first? Because that's what I have most control over. Matthew 7, three through five says it this way. Jesus speaking, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, maybe it's someone out in the world, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly that take the speck out of your brother's eyes. It's easy for us to want to decry a thousand sins and mistakes and can you believe they did that out there? It's much harder to look at the one, two, three, four, five things that we can own and get to work on that and repent from that behavior. And so to be clear, just for me, I'm excited about this series because I have work to do. I love Jesus and I've got logs in my own eye that I need help seeing. I love Jesus and I've got holes in my worldview that need sharpening, that I need to wrestle with anew. 
And so come on a journey with us this series. First and foremost, draw a circle around yourself and let's begin to fix what's in there. Second Timothy 2.21 says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, if we'll work on the logs on our own eye, then he, she will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, get this, then useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work, ready to respond appropriately. Number one, draw a circle around yourself. Number two, reminder, judgment starts with the household of God. Where do we get that? First Peter 4, 17. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment is coming for all. But judgment is coming for the church. And judgment in this context means a couple of things, especially for us in the church. First, it means there are earthly consequences, Christ follower, for eternally forgiven sin. But in this, context, it all, in this context, it also means there are heavenly rewards for earthly faithfulness. And so there's judgment that will be turned upon the church and we need to remind ourselves that. And I wanna live in a way that there's heavenly rewards and I wanna be working on the log in my own eye so that I can be ready for when judgment starts with the household of God. Reminder number three, people are a privilege. If there's just one thing we can do throughout this series, if we could change our approach from, man, here's an argument that I can win, to, man, here's a person made in the image of God who I can help pastor, care for, pray with, shepherd. What a gift. What a gift that would be. I remember about four years ago, um, uh, we were down front at the end of a service. The room was emptying, but it wasn't entirely empty yet. And there was, a, there was a friend for the first time that came down front around row three. I'm sitting over here and around row three, I just hear a voice call out going, is this a gay friendly church? And I'm kind of like looking around going, oh, oh, she's talking to me. <laughs> Worldview time. And as she came up, I, I grabbed another friend, uh, another female colleague. And, and I just was like, hey, my name's Jeff. What's yours? started a conversation. I just said, man, tell me, tell me about what's going on. And she kind of shared about some things that were happening in her life and some hurts and wounds that uh, she had that she had caused herself. She also talked about some church hurt that had happened to her. And, uh, and she ended the conversation, but, but, but going, but, but is this a gay friendly church? And uh, I said, absolutely. We're so glad you're here. I said, but I wanna explain what I mean by that. And so would you let me and my friend buy you a cup of coffee? And so we went to a coffee house and we got to talk. We got to hear more about her story and more about some of the pain that other um, Christ followers had caused her. And we just got to sit with her for a little bit. And, uh, and after we listened and talked a little bit more, man, people are a privilege just to get to hear their story and understand some of the times where they're coming from. There's just a variety of hurts in people's lives. And if you'll just engage with them. And... Uh, and after we talked for a little bit, I just looked at her and I, I just said, hey, I, I believe our church is a gay-friendly church, but let me tell you what I mean by that. We do believe that homosexuality is a sin, but it is not the sin, it is not the unforgivable sin that some in the church, some that have claimed the name of Christ have made it out to be. I'm so sorry that you've been dealt with in a shameful, disdainful way. That is not the way of Christ. Will you give us a chance to walk with you? We're not gonna compromise the high call of the truth on that, but we wanna walk with you and we wanna love you. Will you give us a chance? And she said, yeah. So we walked with her 
for a couple weeks. And, uh, and I just checked back in with her uh, about three or four weeks later. I just, she goes, look, I haven't changed my stance on anything, but look, I can't argue with how you've, you guys have been loving me. I said, well, will you just keep giving us an opportunity to walk with you? I wasn't trying to win an argument in the moment. Four weeks later, grab, uh, she, she grabbed me and she just said, hey, I, I'm starting to wrestle with some of what I believe. And it's because of how you guys are loving me. Something's different. And this, she's talking about a lot of people that are loving her at this point. Unfortunately, uh, she moved away, but we got an email. We got a note from her about four or five months after she left and she used regen language, but she, she, uh, she goes, I want you to know I've changed my, my pastimes, my playground and my playmates. And I'm following Jesus now. I could have won an argument. Others could have won an argument one Sunday morning. A year later, a soul was won. Don't miss out on that journey. A soul won by the Lord and being on that journey and getting to watch the Lord do a work that he was gonna do with or without us is so much better than winning a momentary argument. People are a privilege. Reminder number four, similar. But discipleship is an opportunity, it's not a burden. I think so many times we, we hear people that are in different places, harder places, and, I, and, and I can, it can happen in my, in my line of work and just in the pastoral care, I, my heart kind of bubbles up going, ooh, this is gonna be a hard one, this is gonna be a long one. Just in the last four years, we've had four friends come to our campus who uh, came to us awaiting trial for crimes they've committed. Four people in the last four years. In each one of those instances, they said that just they felt like the church had always been a place where they'd been written off. And so we got a chance to sit with them. And I, I just want to stop and emphasize for a second. I don't know where you are. You may be in a different, you may be stuck in some ways. You may think you've done the unforgivable sin. I just want you to remember, um, we will not compromise our high call here, but we want you to know this is a safe place and we want to journey with you wherever you are. As I sat in rooms and listened to my friends, I, I, I just reminded myself, as John Owen said, the seed of every sin is in every heart. How do I respond in humility? I'm no better. I too have been foolish. I too have been led astray by various lusts and pleasures. I too have spent my days in malice and envy. I too have hated one another and been hated by others. Me too, but for when the kindness of God appeared in my life, it changed everything. And so let me stay in rooms. And so by the grace of God, we've sat in rooms as people have shared their life. We've sat in rooms where we got to share the gospel with them, each of these four people. We've celebrated in rooms with them as they claimed Christ for the first time. And we got to jump into the tank with them as they got baptized. And yes, we've sat in the courtroom as they have rightly learned that there are still earthly consequences for eternally forgiven sin. To be clear, at City Bridge, we do not celebrate sin. But to be clear, we love to shepherd sinners towards full devotion of Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us in certain passages that a church should look like a hospital. Others, it talks about being more like a seminary or equipping the saints, but it should also look like a hospital where the least of these are welcome. People, discipleship opportunities 
are just that. They're an opportunity, not a burden. Don't fear the pastoral phone call, but instead respond in humility. Jump into rooms, even with people that have a completely different worldview. You just have no idea that what journey you're about to go on. Today, I can report that I know of at least four jails in Texas where there are small discipleship groups happening because of how you all have faithfully discipled people that some would consider the least of these. Light's been brought into darkness and it's been taken into dark places. Keep staying humble. And so we're gonna continue to address the work that we need to do on ourselves. We're gonna continue to address how can we respond humbly, whatever the subject is, so that we can be movement number three, loving ambassadors for Christ. Question three, movement three, how do we love others as gospel ambassadors? It's, we get the idea of being ambassadors from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's where we're getting the idea, but there's, there's ambassador language all over 2 Corinthians 5. And so let me go back to verse 11. It says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, ambassadors, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also for your conscience. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. That's what controls us. Because we've concluded this, the gospel, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and who are we to forget where we've been rescued from? Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ, the great reconciler, who are we supposed to imitate? Christ. So what do we do? We carry the message that he's entrusted us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you see the language in there? We are to persuade others. We are to let the love of Christ control us. We are to make appeals. We are to implore people on behalf of Christ. We've talked about the two common errors. Derek's talked about them last week. I've mentioned them some, but just that a lot of times that we can either respond harshly or judgmental. We respond in anger or we'd be put off. Or for maybe most of us, or many of us in this room, the other side is just as unambassador-like. We respond in silence when we don't speak up, when we absolutely should. And we can't do either of those things. We are called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors, I love what our friends, uh, my friend John Elmore said, just reminded us, hey, just even an earthly ambassador is an example for us. Ambassadors in this world don't fight wars. Ambassadors in this world are embedded in a foreign land to represent their country or kingdom. And so if we're ambassadors for Christ, if we are new creations, we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom embedded in a foreign land called America in 2022. And we must speak up. Yet we do so winsomely with much care. There's a lot of examples that I could pull from from scripture, but uh, I just think Daniel's maybe the best one. Daniel was, a, was an Israelite and the Israelites had been exiled into Babylon. 
and I'm sure a jarring time, I'm sure a confusing time, I'm sure a time where they got tested in a variety of ways outside of their own land. Scripture tells us in many ways we're just like that, that we're, that we're pilgrims in a foreign land. And Daniel was, was, was doing that. And, and, and we, we found some headlines from Daniel 1. My, our, our, our crack sleuth-filled team found some headlines of the day from, uh, I don't even know what BC we're talking about at this point, but uh, back from Babylonian days, we found some, some stories uh, from the Israelite times. Let's take a look at them of what was happening to our Israelite. Look at this. King Nebuchadnezzar forces diet upon Israelite youth. There's some other, by the way, there's some other Easter eggs up there. Um, There we go, 539 BC. Uh, The second headline, uh, look at this. King mandates three-year pagan education plan for the youth. This is Daniel 1. And I don't know if that headline gets you boiling up a little bit. Obviously having fun. It's Photoshop, just in case you're concerned. But if you keep reading Daniel 1, you'll learn three things that Daniel did as an ambassador, three ways that he lived out 2 Corinthians 5. And we would do well to model. He continued to persuade, he continued to appeal, he continued to implore 2 Corinthians 5 language. But one of the first things that Daniel did was he still learned the culture so that he could love them well. Second, you'll see it in Daniel 1, is that he offered better ways. And then the third thing is he maintained his faith and never compromised his convictions. Ambassadors don't compromise their convictions. They stand firm in the faith. Even if there's a new king in the land and there would become a new king in the land that where David was, or Daniel was. And in Daniel six, we read about Darius. And this would have been the headline of the day from the Babylonian times, is that the king finds new way to feed his lions. For all that won't bow the knee and pray to the king. What does Daniel do? He still doesn't fight wars. He runs to God and in humility maintains his faith and entrusts himself to the one that judges rightly. And in this instance, God chose to spare him. In this instance, there's other passages in God's word where God chose not to spare the ambassador. But better than even the ambassador getting spared is what happened to the king and what happened to the land. Read with me in Daniel 6 what happened. Darius saying, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God enduring forever. The king, the pagan king giving gospel language, his king. God's kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who saved Daniel from the power of the lions, gospel language, that's the prayer for our land. And so, yes, you and I would have a, most likely a preferred preference of who's in the White House. And we may get our way. Maybe we have our way now. We may have exactly who we want one day in in Congress. We may have the exact constitution of Supreme Court justices that we would like. But if our country is not ruled by the gospel as its chief cornerstone, we've got no shot. And so we continue to represent our king 
in a foreign land called America as ambassadors of the gospel, running to God's word and from a place of humility, loving others as ambassadors of Christ. And that's what we wanna do each and every week. We wanna remind ourselves that the people in front of us are made in the image of God and they're to be loved, served, blessed, and prayed for. And they need Christ represented to them as an ambassador would, not attacked as an adversary would, not apathetically disregarded as someone who, that would write someone off for dead, as an ambassador would. I love how Paul writes in Philippians 2, let me close with this in verse 15. He writes and says it this way, be blameless and innocent. It's written to Philippi, it could be written to City Bridge Community Church. Children of God, be without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We say all the time that light is more valuable in the darkness. And my guess is you and I might share a worldview where we feel like the world's pretty dark right now. Well, good news, your light's more valuable right now. Good men, good women are best in worst times. They're most exemplary when the generation is most crooked. And so you and I have been saved for such a time as this so that we can model for one another how we run to God, we run to his word, and in humility, we stay as ambassadors representing the love of Christ. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.